You're listening to Artisan Hackers, the podcast dedicated to the communities building and using new digital tools of creation. We talk to programmers, artists, poets, musicians, bot makers, educators, students, and designers in an effort to critically look at both online art making and the history of technology and the internet. We're interested in where we've been and speculative ideas on the future. This episode is supported by Purchase College. I'm your host, Lee Tussman. Today we're talking about Yapo Repository, a digital resource library that's built to preserve the digital histories and legacy of people of African descent. To set that up, we've got to talk about the concept of Afrofuturism. And I'm here in the studio with our producer, Max Ludlow. So what is that? Afrofuturism is a term coined by Mark Derry in 1993 to refer to the developing intersection of African diaspora culture with technology and science fiction. It's this kind of rigid cultural movement where all of these artists and designers and musicians were inspired by ideas of the future and they were taking them and creating this new sort of spectacular art that had African, largely African-American people um, taking to the stars and imagining this kind of bright, new Afrocentric future. So you said rigid at the beginning. So what we can take from that, I think, is that there must have been an evolving, there's an evolution here. Yeah, exactly. So um Afrofuturism itself is kind of, it, it has these very pronounced sort of maybe, maybe kitschy kind of aesthetics, right? You have UFOs and bright flashing lights and phaser sounds, all of these kinds of hallmarks of early sci-fi that are now a little bit dated, I think, when people look at them today. Um, but recently people have taken this project of Afrofuturism and decided to expand it right into this kind of black futurist vision where there's there's a lot more room for different kinds of it doesn't just need to be about flashing lights it can be about how are things like water and ritual how did they figure into the the black future and how do you know queer people women how do they kind of figure into the the afrofuturist canon that they i guess sort of previously left out of and one person who's at the forefront of this critique is Ayo Damala Okusende or Ayo as we know him for short the co-creator of the Iapa repository with Salome Asega which is a resource library for the future founded to collect and preserve artifacts to ensure the history and legacy of people of African descent. In addition to an artist, I think you also describe yourself as a designer and an anthropologist and a time traveler. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes, I, I am a designer. For me, design is about an interface with the future. It's about 
creating a tra trajectory, uh, putting together systems to make that happen. In, in that sense, I am a designer. I use more speculative design and critical design methods and not necessarily, I don't want to say classical design methods, but I am a designer. I, I consider myself a time traveler, particularly because of that idea of interfacing with the future in terms of design and Afrofuturism, um, which I don't call it Afrofuturism, I call it reclamation. I look to the future, I look to the past, I try to reclaim spaces in the future, in the past, in the present for Blackness. So in that sense, I am a time traveler. As for being an anthropologist, you know, all the work that I do in trying to understand race and temporality is extremely anthropological. Um, but I'm also trained. I'm also trained in anthropology. I have a MA in anthropology as well. Currently pursuing a PhD in anthropology. One way I wanted to get started was to ask you about you know one of your long-term projects and to ask you about um, the birth of and the ongoing project that you call the IAPA repository. The IAPA repository is a project created with. Um, Salome Sega, and it was part of our IBEAM residency. I believe it was 2016. In that project, we create African artifacts from the future. The Yapa Repository is a museum that exists in the future that collects African artifacts from their past, which means that they collect African artifacts from our future. So in the same way that Today, we might look to the past, we might look to artifacts of the past, to understand cultures of the past. With the Yapo repository, we look to artifacts of the future to understand cultures of the future. The way it takes place is that we have workshops where participants become archivists of this future, and they uncover these artifacts. They describe it, they draw it, and then sometimes they prototype the artifacts. But ultimately, the IAPA repository crew then takes the, those manuscripts and we build out physical, technologically enabled artifacts that exist in that future. So right now we, we have oh, hundreds of manuscripts. We're in the process of building an archive. An archive, not as an archive that one just goes in and retrieves information, right? but that even through the retrieval or through the placement of that information, the archive itself changes. And thinking about the archive or knowing the archive as in a, through embodiment. So haptic, a haptic suit, for example, that would allow you to read the archive. So you then feel the artifacts um, or you feel the meaning of the artifacts. And what are the kinds of categories of, of artifacts? They vary. Um, as with all good science fiction, it takes on the anxieties of the present. A few years ago, we had a lot of artifacts that were very, and even still, a lot of artifacts that are dealing with police um, violence. So we have one called Kemo. That's a necklace that you wear that when you get to a geolocation where a black body has been extra, extra judicially murdered, it lights up. 
So it's connected to a GPS database that we have, and the device has a GPS unit in it. And when you pass those locations, it, it, it shines as a way for you to contemplate the, the situation at that location. We also have a lot of artifacts that deal with water, sort of thinking about water or crossing large bodies of water and what that means in terms of cultural memory, the cultural trauma that comes across with that. If you think about the Atlantic slave trade, for example, but also um, water as something that is life-given, water as something that is cosmic. So we currently have a, a researcher that's doing solely water research in the Yapa repository, meaning that they are going through all the Yapa, Yapa repository manuscripts and they are formulating an understanding of what the Yapa repository has to say about water. So it's, correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like people that participate will create manuscripts about these artifacts. And one way to experience them is to kind of read them or or also to submit your own manuscript, but in other ways are that your team actually fabricates prototypes of these. Yes and no, uh, because you say that <laughs> <laughs> because you say that they create the these manuscripts, and you say that we fabricate these these artifacts. We don't. They don't create the manuscripts. They reveal the manuscripts. Manuscripts are already in existence. The artifacts are already in existence. Um, think about them as sort of platonic forms um, that that already exist. And what we try to do is we try to instantiate those um, those ideas, those platonic ideas, into uh, into our physical um, time space. Right? They can never be perfect to the idea. One could also have multiple instantiations of a particular idea. Some of the artifacts, the manuscript that exists, then births maybe about five different artifacts. And these different artifacts then give a sort of prism mm. on the way that different people, different communities regard that the, the notion of that manuscript, the idea that's embedded in that manuscript. So the part of the, the part of the researchers uh, and the part of the conservators at Yapo repository is to constantly be interrogating the ideas that exist in those manuscripts. I always talk about the county fair where you have the jar of, of um, jelly beans and you ask one person how many are in there and they're way off. But then you ask a thousand people and take the average and it's spot on. So the idea is through the constant interrogation of these ideas, we get closer and closer to an idea of truth. Then mm -hmm. the next step is thinking about this now comparatively, looking at African communities or African diasporic communities in Brazil versus African-American communities versus Nigerian communities as asking, are ideas of future, do they differ in these locations? How is time constructed to either enable or to preclude a particular future? You said earlier that you used the word, if I get this, if I got this right, reclamation. You prefer that over Afrofuturism. Is that right? 
Yes, that's correct. Um, Afrofuturism for me is a loaded word. It presupposes that all solutions are future oriented. And for me, that's not the case. It also relies too heavily on technology as a solution, meaning technologies of silicon and space travel, et cetera. But one could also think about techno technologies of language, technologies of community, um, the oracle as a technology, right? Ritual as a technology. So when I say reclamation, I'm, I want to be inclusive of not just Western ideas of technology, but also indigenous notions of technology. I want to be inclusive of the past and the ability to reframe the past. My move towards the term reclamation is in part a response to the mundane Afrofuturist manifesto. Um, the mundane Afrofuturist manifesto is a piece by um, Martin Sims that basically eschews, Martin Sims eschews the idea of the spectacle, the, the Afrofuturist spectacle and the Afrofuturist idea of using time, using the future as a solution to problems. Um, basically, we don't need to wait for the future. We have issues in the present that we should address, that Afrofuturism does not have to be about the spectacle. <laughs> it does not have to be about the fetishization of technology. Um, so yes. So I wanted to ask about the artifact. It's uh, it's labeled here um, as artifact one 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 and one eleven, and it's mother radio. It's a radio that broadcast ancestral voices of mothers and grandmothers. It's a conch shell that has within it a device that taps into our radio broadcast system. It has a Raspberry Pi in it that has a speaker uh, attached. And when you lift up the shell, it then triggers it to then play the audio. The idea is that over time, through the ages, with this shell, you could hear your grandmother, you could hear your grandmother's grandmother, and you could just continue onwards and onwards until, you know, the proverbial Eve um, straight out of Africa. When, when Iyapa Repository uncovers these artifacts, a lot of times there's a film that comes along with it. So with the Mother Radio, there's a film that comes along with it that shows the artifact in situ of the narrative. Um, so there's a character that finds the artifact, that listens to the artifact, and then is thrown back in time and forward in time with the grandmother's voices echoing in her, in her ear. There's another artifact, um, I think from the same time period called the water suit. Uh, yes, that, that, that one does have a, a film as well that comes with it. Um, that is actually one of the earlier pieces that was uncovered. 
it's it, in in a sense it's a painful piece um because it's about trying to resolve the trauma the cultural trauma that comes from crossing large bodies of water and thinking about what does it mean to lose so many on that voyage what is the trauma and how is that trauma carried on um generation through generation ultimately how does one resolve that trauma how what does one do to try to mitigate that trauma so the suit has it's a full body suit um made of spandex that has tubes wound around that have water from the Atlantic Ocean that's pumped around these tubes so it gives the illusion that there's water circulating almost like a out a, a circulated circulatory system that's outside of the body but then it also has vibration motors that are are positioned at different locations that vibrate to the tidal patterns of the Atlantic Ocean. The film that comes along with this has an individual wearing the suit coming out of the ocean and then walking onto land. In a sense, it's it's an eerie feeling because we don't know where that character comes from. We don't know where that character is going. but we do understand that there's something something otherworldly that's happening and that the suit with its motors whirling and the vibration motors whirling that there's an otherworldly feeling to it and i don't mean otherworldly in a sort of alien sense i mean in a spiritual sense um and this this piece ties in a sense to part of the drexia myth um it ties to the notion of mamiwata um and obviously to a lot of other water-based works that people of the African diaspora have done over many 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 um decades and centuries it reminds me a lot too of Felakuti's water no get water no get enemy where he talks about water first from this sort of external notion of water and saying that you use it to wash your body they concentrically in sort of these concentric circles gets closer and closer to the center where he talks about you drink with water you make soup with water and then finally in the center he says when your child dies you use water meaning that you wash it with water but you also cry with water so water being so important um obviously to every living organism but i think particularly to to people of the african di- diaspora what is critical um what is a source of pain right but it's also a source of healing and i think what this piece does is it tries to create those concentric circles like felakuti does with his song um manifest in this artifact One thing I'm thinking about too is in addition to your artifacts that are part of the repository there's actually my understanding is there's also rare rare books and there's other ways of kind of displaying historical um uh texts and and other in other sources too along with the repository of artifacts. Yeah, so the we have we have arts and artifacts division, we have the manuscript division 
we have r- rare books um, and we have moving image. Um, the rare books division, basically all the sources that we read, zines created by others, reference material that's, that all pertain to artifacts in the, in the repository. We have, we work with partners to generate some of this information. Um, so that's, that's why they're rare. It's, um, some of them are publicly available, um, but most of the, most of the pieces that we have are unique pieces that we've, um, we've asked other artists and curators to, to put together. And we have a piece called the monolith that allows you to push these panels and it emails you to it emails to you a random collection of material that's within the rare books division. So for example, from Chicago, we have Black Radical Imagination. From Houston, we have Found Me Mag. In New York, from New York, we have Three Dot Zine by Devin Morris. Um, we have works from Endless Edition in there as well. And then we have a lot of times we have people that want to write articles or write a piece about a particular artifact. Yeah, I love that there's all the different manifestations of the upper repository. There's the these rare books, there's the monolith, there's the artifacts themselves um, and the manuscripts about them. I'm also seeing that you have um, like special projects. There's one I'm looking at where um, you had a workshop using tilt brush and uh, like a VR headset. Can you say more about what that one was? Yeah. So some of these artifacts are so fantastical that they cannot be created in physical world. So a lot, some of them we create in the digital world. We are in the process of actually making 3D models of all the artifacts, regardless of whether or not we have created them or not. So then there lives in the virtual world manifestations of each artifact. What we're doing now is we are creating a virtual reality space where these artifacts exist, especially especially those artifacts that are too big to build physically. So there's a back and forth of data from the physical to the virtual. So a lot of these technologies that we're we're developing are in part to try to address the issue of what an archive is. How do you relate to the word or or does the word world building, is that an important idea to you of building a world that you want to see exist or that you want to be part of or that you want to impact how we think about the world that we live in? World building is Absolutely, absolutely key. I want to split that up into two things, world building in the sense of the freedom of mind to be able to think about a world, and then the ability to then make that world happen. The work that we do at the Yapa Repository and other projects gives a space to imagine a possibility. That's not something that's granted. Not everybody is given that opportunity to imagine their their future. Being able to create projects that try to enable that is very, very important to me. So that's one part is just the ability, the enabling of that space to, to dream. 
Then the other part is then how does one make that space? And making that space doesn't necessarily have to be building a representation of it. It could be making a critique of the present as a way to slowly edge the thinking that there could be an alternate um, reality. If you're able to do that enough with enough minds, then that alternate reality starts to exist within the minds of the viewer. But then those viewers then start to create that reality. Let's take time, for example. The time that we live in, the way that we construct time now does not have to be the way that we we do things. Using calendars, using these clocks, you know, this construct of time was created and now has it's now this hegemonic time, right? Does this time enable dreaming of particular groups? Does it enable particular groups to thrive? I would argue that no, it doesn't always. It's in bed with capitalism. It's in bed with extraction. It's in bed with colonialism and, you know, the destruction of the environment. So how can we then start working against that or creating new ideas of time? First, in just creating the ability to envision new concepts of time within the minds of the individual. But then finally, creating artifacts, um, time artifacts that embody that idea, um, that temporal ideology, and then start placing those into hegemonic space. When we talk about world building, right, it is about allowing that space in the mind, but then it is also about creating the physical space. I was wondering if you could give a little where you were thinking of going next, because I know you sort of conceived it as like an ongoing project. The next steps for us are to open the archive up to researchers. And then we're continuing to do shows and ultimately would love to have a physical space where we actually build out part of the archive. Um, So thinking about what does it look like? What does a museum, a physical museum look like? Um, what, how, how, how do we place the, art, the artifacts in there? How do we talk about the history of the, uh, of the repository? How do we talk about the future of the repository? How do people interact with it? How does it differ in terms of ideas of presentation of African artifacts? than museums that currently do so, you know? Ayo, thank you so much. This is Artists and Hackers. Today's episode was supported by Purchase College. Our guest today was Ayo Damala Okunsunde, co-creator of the IAPO repository with Salome Asega. I'm your host, Lee Tussman. Our audio producer is Max Ludlow. Coordination and web design by Caleb Stone. 
Our music in this episode is The Come Up by Audio Binger, Fireflies by Zila Zico, and Nighthawks by Timezone LaFontaine. You can find out more about IAPO Repository and IO and find links to their websites as well as past episodes of the show on our website, artisanhackers.org. If you have episode suggestions or topics you want us to cover, you can tweet us at Artists Hacking or message us on Instagram at Artists and Hackers. You can write to us at hello at artisanhackers.org. And if you liked our episode, please let a friend know. Thanks.